Hey everybody, AJ here. I just wanted to tell you exciting news. We are rolling out our self-storage income community. So many people asked if we had anything to participate, any groups to do that weren't the high level inner circle. And until now, we haven't. We are rolling it out. It's already open. We already have members. You can follow the link below, click to join, join in the Facebook group. You get everything from our modelers. You get the community education. We have videos, everything from underwriting and more. This is meant to allow people to work together, to share information, to do deals together so we can all succeed. Join now, sign up and let your progress and future in self-storage begin today. See you there. Hey, what is going on everybody? My name is Yen and welcome back to Self Storage Income. Today we have an excellent guest lineup for you. We have the one, the only, Yona Weiss. Yona is a cost segregation expert from New York City. He's saved hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes for property owners. He's the host of his own podcast. He's been on Bigger Pockets. But before we get started, I just want to let you know that one of our sponsors, Live Oak Bank, is putting on a webinar talking about management and financing in the self-storage industry. It's on November 17th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll leave a link for this down in the show notes below. You're going to want to put this on your calendar. You don't want to miss it. So if you guys want to be a part of that, definitely do so. This is a great resource. Take advantage of that. But anyways, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And uh, Connor, um, I'm really excited for today's podcast on this very, very cold October day. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it, it seems like the fall weather finally caught up with us here in the Pacific Northwest. And um, yeah, yeah, it froze last night and windy, leaves falling, all that good stuff. So, Snow in the um, what it looks, time of year. looks like our guest is also hanging out in town here with his green screen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I try to make it, uh, I try to be comfortable, you know. Dude, I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. But AJ, man, I'm so excited to jump into the episode today. We were talking just before the podcast, what a huge topic this is for everybody um, in the real estate realm in general. Um, and this is just one of those those topics and strategies that is so key in real estate investing and building and growing wealth. Um, excited to welcome our guest, Yona. How you doing, man? Doing wonderful. It's been a been a great day. Great to catch up with you guys again. Heck yeah, yeah. It's been a little bit. Yeah, it has been. I mean, it's probably been close to a year, if not more. Maybe. Oh, that's too long, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a little more than that, you know. And I've gotten some of the invites to your uh, to your uh, you know getaways and your weekend uh, retreats and things like that and conferences, and it's just always been a, a conflict. So one of these days we'll make it out to Boise. That's right. We'll make it all. <laughs> we'll make it work. But um. At you know, least I'm there, you know, virtually, you know. That's right. Got your green screen going on. Makes you feel like you're here. Um, before we jump in, into this, though, why don't, you know, obviously we know you. Why don't you enter? Why don't you tell our listeners here a little bit about yourself, what you do, uh, you know, and how in the world you got into this crazy world of taxes and cost segregation? You know, it's a, it is a crazy story a little bit because... My background is in teaching and education, and I spent about 15 years, most of my adult life involved in either, either teaching or nonprofit work or both. And that was really my passion, you know, helping people, education, 
And about seven years ago, I was approached by really, well, it was really life situations that kind of presented itself to me that I needed to find some more, you know, some more income, some other sources and reaching out to many, many friends at that time, real estate kept coming up in one way or the other. So I got my feet wet in commercial real estate, doing some mortgage brokering for a little bit, then doing some residential fix and flips and just kind of learning the ropes about everything involved in commercial real estate. And lo and behold, I one introduction to another, as you guys know how it works with uh, with networking, you just meet the right people and you make connections. And I was introduced to this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate, Madison Specs, the consternation company, and we just hit it off. And it was a perfect opportunity for me at the time. And I just used, the funny thing is I knew almost nothing about cost segregation or taxes for that matter at all at that time. But then I realized really, really quickly that neither did anyone else in the world. And so I just found a, a, a huge opportunity and a niche to be able to educate uh, people about this subject. And it just really kind of took off from there. That's awesome, man. That's funny how all those things play out, right? And how you kind of just, it, it, that domino effect, you meet one person, then another, then another, and things just kind of start boom, 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 falling into place. And uh I was just talking to somebody here in the office the other day how I feel like <clears throat> everything that I've kind of envisioned like for my life and how things are going, I just like every time I think of something, it just keeps popping up. And it's just, again, that network and constantly growing and, and these different things. And, you know, I'm super lucky, but uh, no, it is all about that network and, and capitalizing on that opportunity as well and being willing to learn. Um, I can't imagine being willing to learn that much about taxes. So uh, hats off to you. <laughs> uh, <that's... laughs> Thank goodness we have people like you that are interested in it, you know, because uh, we don't even still today. They're like, so what do you think we can uh, estimate on our depreciation or our tax? I'm like, I don't know how any of this works. I'm like, <laughs> it's just, it's exactly. I'm like, I, I, I think I figure it out. And then we get, you know, our, our um our re returns or our depreciation schedule back on a property and I'm like that was nothing like I thought it was then we had we had one that you guys did it was the uh we had a portfolio that you guys did and it came back at like 70% or something like that and I, it was the ones in uh, um, Oklahoma and I was shocked I was like holy cow and then we had another one that I'm like oh we're going to get so much uh, first year depreciation on this bad boy. And it was like 35%. And I'm like, Oh man, like I, so I, I haven't cracked the cracked the code yet. So uh, why don't you walk us through, first of all, just depreciation mm -hmm. in taxes in general, but then yeah. what is accelerated depreciation? How does it work and how do you use it? So depreciation in general is not what it sounds like. So it's not a negative thing. It's actually just a borrowed term for a tax deduction. Anytime you buy any property besides for your personal residence, residential, commercial, doesn't matter what, obviously self-storage, you're able to take a write-off, literally an income tax write-off of the value of that property. Okay, but you can't do it all at once. So we're doing it over a 39 year period, residential properties over a 27 and a half year period. So essentially we're taking a little bit every single year, about two to 3% of the property value every single year. And that gets you, that's what's called your depreciation deduction. Essentially, we're able, the IRS is giving us a tax benefit 
because we're investing uh, and we're able to get a little bit of those deductions back. So how accelerated depreciation works or cost segregation, which is kind of a synonym for that, is by breaking down the property into its components. And really component depreciation is a better word than or phrase than cost segregation because that's what we're doing. We're saying instead of taking that lump sum of you bought a property for you know $10 million and now breaking it out into over 39 year period, we're able to show certain components and every component of that from the pavement, right? To the, you know, the bollards, you're talking about landscaping and fencing and, you know, the interior, if there's any equipment or furniture or, or even window treatments, all kinds of stuff like that depreciates on faster schedules, on five or 15 year schedules, we're able to identify the value of those components and depreciate those components separately on faster schedules. And so it's about essentially taking from that pool of potential deductions that you'll probably never take over that 39, unless you actually hold the property for 39 years and pulling from that pool of potential deductions and taking, you know, a big lump sum of them. Now you talk about 35 or 40 or 50 or even sometimes up to 70% of those potential deductions up front in the first year. So that's really the, in a nutshell, that's how cost segregation works. Now, and this is why like you would find, the differences in asset classes, for example, let's say like multifamily, like there's more separate components in a multifamily um, uh, uh, deal as opposed to, let's say, like a huge triple net warehouse for Amazon. So there's more components within the multifamily asset that you can carve out than the big box empty warehouse that has a lot less components. And that's why on one, then you would get more first year benefits than the other. Is that correct? Exactly. Correct. And it also depends. I mean, there is a complicated kind of calculation, but it also depends on the ratio and the percentage of those, you know, personal property, tangible property components versus the actual structure and the value of the structure. So you actually have you know, it also has to do with the the build, you know, the year built. If it's built a much newer property, if it's a brand new construction, there's going to be intrinsically more value in the structure than than it would be if it was a, you know, a 30-year-old building. So like on a development, then we could probably get more than if it wasn't. So actually the opposite. Because Got in it. the new in the new construction, the development, there's more value actually placed in the structural components. And the structural components yeah. are the things that are still going to be depreciating on that 39-year schedule. That makes sense because it's brand new. So they're like, it's obviously not depreciating. Mm -hmm. This is brand new wiring. This is brand new. It Those items have more value because they're newer. So they don't need to be replaced or they may not be going bad. Exactly. Got it. Now, what are you seeing right now with, uh, like, how do people go about it? If I'm going to buy an asset, obviously, this is about storage. It's a storage facility. Then what should I expect on the cost segregation side? How do I should decide to go down the, the, the road of doing it? Like, what are the decisions? What are the good things, the bad things about it? And how would I even begin to understand what benefit that might get to me? The first thing we always like to do is on any property, run an upfront 
free estimate or feasibility analysis. So that really gives more of an educational value where you're able to see what the potential tax savings would be. And I think the main factors that one needs to consider, and we're not offering tax advice here, just disclaimer, right? We're just 100%. providing some education here, right? But you need to discuss the main factor is what is your individual tax situation, meaning how much tax taxable income do you have during the year? And can you use the depreciation to lower that taxable income? And um, because depreciation is used specifically against your rental income or your any income coming from your rental properties, whether it be storage or multifamily, it doesn't matter what, all that is taxed differently than let's say your ordinary, your W-2 income. And so therefore, can you use that you know, against one against the other. There's something called the real estate professional status, where if you're full-time in the real estate business, you can then go ahead and use those extra tax deductions of depreciation to offset your your spouse's, uh, you know, active W-2 income. So there are a lot of factors there, but I think that's usually one that's overlooked a lot. People think about, oh, bonus depreciation, this is great, I'm going to get all these deductions, and then they come to their tax plan and they're like, well, you can't actually use these, uh, or very much of them at all. Mm, no, that's such a good yeah. point because that's that's one of the most common questions I get or that that we get on the investor side. A lot of investors want to know how that depreciation is going to affect them and this and that. And it's constantly, you know, go talk to your CPA, go talk to yeah. your accountant. We can't tell you what that's going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> it, no it's idea. hard to have that conversation because I'm like, yeah. I don't know anything about your tax base. So I don't know. I, I can yeah. tell you, oh, we see on average a range of 20 to 40 percent. But that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> to like, it, like I don't know what that even is. How if that's relevant at all to you as an individual? It's going to affect everyone differently, and that's exactly. that's the point. The great news is for real estate investors, and this is you know common to everyone, is that any income that you make from your properties and lumping all of your investments together, that depreciation can in fact reduce and lower that taxable income. So if you are investing in a deal that does cost segregation, you can expect that any income that you're making from that property um, over the first five years, or at least you know the hold of the property is not going to be taxable income. Well, this is the thing that, you know, this is one of the best parts of real estate that people often overlook. And we so you know when we're putting real estate together, we don't count returns. Our returns have nothing to do with taxes. I, we don't right. build them in. We don't know anything about them. Right? It's it's like we're not. It has nothing to do with it. We're looking at purely like a cash on cash. I'm looking at saying your return is predicated on the capital that you put in and the money that is then put back into your pocket off of that capital. That's how we calculate returns. But that's actually not the truth of the matter. So like, you know, we had a. Uh, a deal um, that we were doing with you, right? And the higher that tax uh, that uh, tax break is for a lot of people, that's a real return, you know. So we had one investor that's like, yeah. So so far, I got to write off this huge amount because I had a large income, and I saved, you know, sixty thousand dollars or whatever that amount was. And he's like, that was already a uh, 50% return year one for that individual. Now that's not the same for all individuals, but th it's important to realize this and why it's important is that that drives a lot of people's investment decisions, right? Yeah. Because that is a real return to that individual. So when that individual told me, he's like, year one, 
I've already received a 60 plus percent return, right? That is a real return to them, even though we don't calculate it like that, Such right? Good point. We're like, no, you received a 6% because that's what was paid out right on it. But to him, it wasn't. It was over 60,000. 60, and that will determine, like for anybody listening to this podcast, investors that you're going to either bring on or for you individually, that is a big uh, thing that you're going to want to look at. And if you don't understand it properly, you can actually be leaving a lot of opportunity on the table um, and you may not be able to fully execute or capitalize on the deal because you're not expressing to investors and others the value for that individual. And it, this is a, a big piece for anyone that is in the real estate game and it's one that just cannot be overlooked. Um, some investors, this matters a whole lot to them. Others, maybe not, right? And so you need to know that if your investment, like, so if we went to you and we had a property we're looking at and you do like your analysis and we go, okay, this is going to give us a huge year one tax uh, write-off from the accelerated depreciation, that may change who we talk to about the investment. So we may actually look and say, we have a lot of people that up on their list of things that they want, taxes is the highest. This is right. the perfect opportunity for those individuals. So even not just from getting the write-offs, but as an operator or an investor, a really important piece for you to understand to be successful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really about understanding and knowing your investors and being able to relate to their needs. And I think that's extremely important when you're an operator and dealing with investors. I mean, I know for myself as a, as a personally, a passive investor, like I, I would, I feel much better when, you know, operators know what my concerns are and get to know me because that will make a big difference in, uh, in how much I can invest into it and knowing the numbers. And again, it goes back to the education as well, because like you said, if you're not educating your investors properly or yourself, <laughs> but the investors on what this may mean for them. And not only that, but, you know, the 60% return that you talked about may be totally different if they're actually reinvesting that money as well, because that's real returns. We're talking about like real IRR, you know, the internal rate of return when you're reinvesting and creating that compound interest, it's a game changer. It mm -hmm. is. And uh, yeah, that... That's a really good point. And for, as an investor, I, I mean, honestly, it's one of the major reasons we got into real estate because when you, when I did, when I was doing the math, it was very simple. I was in cash-based businesses. I got taxed at the fullest amount and I had nothing to write off. The only assets we had were employees and they all went home and there's no tax benefits really for that. And so we had no hard assets, no nothing. So that meant it was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I'm losing like 50 cents on the dollar. Then I looked at it and said, okay, if I'm trying to retire and I'm trying to get passive income, I'm investing a dollar. That's actually not a dollar. It was $2. I lost 50% of it. So now I, 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 so in order to make back my $2 that I actually earned, that investment has to perform how much, right? And so when you look at and start saying, well, if I'm in a business that I don't have to pay, first of all, the taxes, but then I can reinvest the tax benefits into it, mathematically, it was shocking to me, the difference. And it literally was, I was like, I can never get ahead doing what I'm doing. And then the other way, I was like, wow, I can infinitely 
grow, and scale. And I think that is, you hit it right on the head. It's that IRR or that compounding nature of what you can do as an investor when you're looking at these assets, especially for like my strategy, which we're going to talk about that because you have different investors have different strategies. I'm a long-term hold guy. So I, I'll take the depreciation. We're refinancing our gains out of it, but we don't have an exit. So let's before we jump into that, why don't you explain what happens when you exit? So let's say, all right, I we did the cost segregation. We got whatever, 50% I got to write off my income of the amount that I put into the asset. But then three years later, I have a great deal. So I sell it. What happens? So whenever you sell a property, you're going to be faced with not only capital gains tax, which everyone understands. If you made a profit on that sale, you're going to be taxed on that gain, that amount between the difference between the purchase price and the sale price. There's also something called an unrealized gain, which is in the form of a depreciation recapture tax. Now, this is just to kind of explain this. It's a misnomer. People think recapture, I have to pay it all back. No, that's not what recapture means. It is a tax, an unrealized gain. It means that you're going to be subject to a tax on the amount of depreciation that you took. Okay, it does not mean you're paying back the depreciation. It means you're going to be taxed on that amount. But that can be significant, especially if you're taking a large amount upfront and you're selling in a shorter, relatively shorter period of time. Now, there are ways to go around that or defer that with a 1031 exchange, for example. That's a great way to defer not only your capital gain tax, but your depreciation recapture tax. That can't always be done within a syndication or within a, you know, a partnership of some kind unless that dissolves and done with the right legal steps, which can be quite expensive. Uh, however, there are some other strategies, which is not, and, and this is really one of the most important reasons why I like to describe this recapture tax in, in this way, is because if you have another property that you buy in the year of the sale, even if you don't do a 1031 exchange and you do a cost segregation on that new property, that can create a huge amount of losses, deductions, right, which create a passive loss. And those passive losses can actually be used to offset that passive gain on the sale, okay? Or alternatively, and just kind of to break this down, even if you have suspended passive losses from that property, let's say, you know, AJ, someone invested in this deal and it was a huge deal and you got 50% of that depreciation upfront, but the majority of the people couldn't use those losses because they had a W-2 and they just used, you know, maybe they made, let's say $30,000 of, of income over the course of three years, right? $10,000 a year, let's say you get 10% return on a $100,000 investment. Simply put, they had, you know, and you get back, you know, $100,000 of depreciation. Well, guess what? That gets carried forward and gets released on the sale, which means that that, even if you did cost segregation, it helps you not only during the whole period to reduce your taxable income, but also helps you on the sale because you have those extra losses that can now offset those gains from the, from the sale. Yeah. I doing obviously my taxes and everything this year and I'm a little shocked uh, when they came back and told me, I was like, Oh, this is great news. And I was like, I kind of doing the math in my head. And I was like, well, hold on here. I'm like, where did this come from? And they're like, Oh, that was from two years ago. And I was like, Oh, right on. Got to love real estate, right? Oh, I get three years later, I'm getting the benefit of it. And, um, and we're talking to somebody like, well, what do you do about your taxes? I'm like, buy more. And they're like, right. what? I'm like, 
I buy more. I get more depreciation off that will offset, you know, this. So there, there, there are all these games you can play, um, right, and these ways that you can do it. And I think that when you're looking at it from that investment investor side, uh, it's, it's important to understand, first of all, the benefit in general, because that is a really real benefit to you. And that will really actually affect what I would call your um, total return. Right. So, and you need to know and understand that because that, that changes maybe what I do on the asset, right? We, that's taken into account for us on like expansions and different things that we wanted to do, or for example, putting in, um, uh, technology and hard, uh, wiring, things like that. We're like, oh, well, we can accelerate this differently and that will help offset. So what we viewed as it was like a 200, excuse me, $200 a door investment. Well, when we came and talked to you guys a few years ago and we're like, well, how does this affect on the depreciation side? Well, it was depreciated way higher. So all of a sudden then we could explain to uh, investors, yes, this is a $200 cost, but we are more effective on the asset. We have technology that'll help us compete and the actual $200 cost is disproportionate um, on the return, not just because of the upside, but because of what we get a write off. And when we showed them the breakout, it was like, oh, that's not actually a $200 investment, right? So it's, these things are really important when you're talking about the investment decisions and how you're building, what you're building, how you're using your money and not understanding it can hurt you. Now, with that said, Jonas, I don't understand any of this, which everyone's obviously grasped through this conversation. I'm always surprised by anything I get back or do. Uh, so when you're looking at an asset and you're going to buy it, how do you even begin to know, like, let you know, me and Connor over here, dumb and dumber, walk up to a storage facility and we're like, well, this could be a great investment. I bet you I get a lot of tax returns on it. And like, I, I don't like, how would you even begin to think through that on an investment? Cause that's what everybody wants to know. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. There are so many factors that to come that come to play when you're looking at an investment just from a bird's eye view, which is why, like I said earlier, we always like to, our engineers take a, a deeper dive into the details of the property to give a proper estimate. There are things like the square footage of the facility, right? The amount, number of units, right? When it, year it was built, if there's climate control, right? That's a huge factor. Any of the climate control, all of that's five-year depreciation, which can be eligible for the first year bonus depreciation. And that can be a huge amount. Um, and like I said, all of the external land improvements like concrete, pavement, bollards, you know, fencing, storm drainage, you know, systems, et cetera, all that. So, I mean, if you're just kind of looking at it from your perspective, you're, you're like, okay, I mean, you could just send me a screenshot or something, you know, <laughs> like FaceTime, like, you know, what's, what, what's this, yeah. you know, but, but, Yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, look at look and see. The more uh, I'd say that a big factor for storage is those fifteen-year what we call land improvements. So if there's a large amount of actual pavement and concrete, that's a huge factor because there's a lot of value in that. Um, you're buying, you know, this facility. You're not even thinking about oh, buying the actual driveways and the parking, you know, and the it's, but there's a lot of that there. Um, and so that can be a huge factor in determining how much depreciation there is. 
maybe you're buying your first facility, maybe you're a seasoned veteran, whatever that might be, you're going to need property management software. And that's where Tenant Inc. comes in. They are going to be your solution, the top solution in the self-storage industry. I'm telling you guys, this technology has been developed by self-storage owners and operators just like us, just like us here at Self-Storage Income, who have had a say in how this technology has been built, have played a huge part in it, and it is one of the most robust and usable and actionable and valuable tools in regards to property management that you could ever utilize or find in the technology realm and all things self-storage. So be sure to check out Tenant Inc. Link is in the show notes. One of the best ways to increase value of your storage facility is to integrate tech to improve operations, right? So Janus International actually has their no-key technology. It's a keyless access entry system that allows not only the access and entry to the gate, to the building, to the unit, it allows tenants to, and potential tenants to actually come in and rent a unit online, right? They can access online, see what units are available, rent the unit, access the building, the unit, everything straight from their phone without ever having to go to the office to do any kind of paperwork, do any kind of that kind of to do any kind of paperwork or any of that, which is an incredible amount of value for so many people and that user expectation that people have in today's marketplace. Again, Janus International, their Noki system, be sure to check that out. Link is in the show notes. Yeah, it, that's a really important uh, piece to think about and know when you're looking at um, uh, like a, the difference in storage facilities. So if I am looking at a climate-controlled building versus mm -hmm. a drive-up gravel building, right, um, your total return is going to be different even if all things considered were the same. So e even if I was investing the same dollar and getting the same return, your total return is not the same. Why? Yeah. Just because of the taxes. And that can change your investing decision on the acquisition side. Um, as well as uh, how easy it is to get that stuff funded. Now, when you're looking and saying, all right, no, we, we've got this storage facility we're looking at here. What do, you, what do you need? So in order for anybody to do an analysis for you to get the information back to us, what do you need to see from those individuals? What do we need to provide you? So we can pretty much tell a lot from just the address of the property. Um, you know, we can pull data from there. If you have an OM, like an offering memorandum that has more of those details, like the square footage, number of units, uh, year built, et cetera, that's very helpful. That's the number one factor. The second thing is we'll need to know the purchase price because depreciation is not an intrinsic value of the property, but it's a relative value based on how much you actually bought it for. And that's the amazing thing. You could have bought a property for a million dollars 10 years ago, that same property, and, and taken a million dollars of depreciation uh, as your tax basis. And someone else can buy that same property today for $10 million and now be taking $10 million worth of depreciation. So it's relative to the individual. And so that's why we can focus you know, and, and factor in that purchase price. Now, it's also, um, this is something that can kind of, uh, hit against you is this price versus asset thing. Like I, I, I try to explain to people that, you know, they need to know when they come up front, because if we're buying, let's say an asset that is, um, it's cash flowing, but there's a lot of just empty land on it. And we're buying it because it, 
acts like a cash flowing asset, but then we're going to expand it like a development. So we're actually, we're paying what would be considered a premium, right? Because we're getting all this huge land, but there's nothing on it. So what we're paying to the assets that we can depreciate is very different. And now correct me if I'm wrong, that for me, I look at it like this is actually kind of hurts us in that case because the year one up front that we're buying it at, right, um, we're paying, let's say you're, you're putting $5 million down, but there's actually very little assets. It's just land that we're then going to build on. We have to wait to really get a lot of that value till after we've built because the the price to the assets is there's there's big spread there. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Exactly. And so there's, there, it can be beneficial, or it can be detrimental, right? The first thing is, you know, if you're overpaying for something, right, then there's going to be a, uh, you know, a discount rate involved in the depreciation. And the opposite is true, if you're underpaying for something. And so, you know, if you're buying an extremely discounted property as well, unfortunately, the depreciation is based on your purchase price. And that's going to factor in, in all the assets that are in the, in the property as well. Yeah. We had one that I think we got a hundred percent depreciation on year one, but it was only because it was such a massive property and we got it basically like it was going through foreclosure and the bank was trying to dump it. Mm. So it cost us on a relative basis. I mean, it was well under replacement cost. So what we put down on it then was so exaggerated by the amount we could depreciate. It was like the 100% write-off for us, but it was just because we got in the asset for so cheap and there was so much there. So what if in that instance, let's say, would it make more sense to do the cost seg after you do the expansion or before? And then also, is it just based on the purchase price or can you base it on that point of refinance? So yeah, excellent. Two two excellent questions. I'll answer the second one first because it's it's much easier. The depreciation is based on the purchase price, and uh, and that doesn't change. Okay, so even if it's refinanced for a higher value later on, that doesn't change. The only time it is going to change is if you add more money into the property, which gets us back to the first question, which is if you're doing renovations, at what point should you do the cost seg? Now, if it's a complete redevelopment, meaning you're buying, which I know you guys do a lot, you buy like empty, you know, big box, uh, you know, malls or whatever it is, and just completely gutting it, renovating it, turning it into storage units, you can't do the cost seg until the renovation is complete because the property was never placed in service as a rental until the end, the end game. Now, in that case, it's actually a bit detrimental. Unfortunately, not detrimental, but you just, you don't get to maximize the cost thing because the building and the structure is, is not going to be able to be cost, cost segregable, <laughs> right? Yes. Cost segregatable. Uh, yeah. Because again, it's just really structure. And that's it. That's all that's there. I mean, you have land and again, land doesn't depreciate. You will have some land improvements there, but essentially the majority of the the cost that you're going to get is out of the money put in to redevelop. Okay. And that money put in can then be depreciated again into these different categories, these different components. So that's when we're going to come in and do the cost segregation. And it's just going to be a renovations study. And that's a big, uh, you know, a big difference between just buying a property and uh, cash flowing from day one or whatever it is, and you're able to get like a huge amount of depreciation upfront just from that purchase itself. Uh, 
And there's one more factor, which is if you are doing just, you know, do a combination of the two. So let's say you buy a property and you do, you know, conservation, and then you do some renovations or you do some expansion, which is very common with storage. You have some extra land there, like you were talking about before, AJ, and you're going to, you know, put in X amount of new units there. Well, you can not only get the cost like on that first acquisition, get a huge amount of accelerated depreciation, but then on the development or on the renovation, you can then after the fact, right, the next year or whenever that's completed, you can then go ahead and cost like that as well. So what when you're thinking through things, what would be the benefits? Um, like if you're looking just in general, when we're talking about the timing of the cost seg, what are scenarios in which you would want to do it definitely year one? And what are scenarios that you would actually want to hold off and wait on? I think the biggest time to do it, the most important things are, um, and again, this goes back to the original question that we asked is if you can benefit from it and how much can you benefit from the cost seg this year? So if that's a big factor for you, then I would say get it done you know, right away, regardless. Um, most of the time, it's going to be beneficial. Any property purchased for, I'd say, usually my rule of thumb is over $500,000 purchase price, but it, it, that threshold's even gone down over the past year or two, just because I've seen so many people reaching out with smaller properties and wanting the benefits and getting them. And like, well, why not? Uh, okay, so I'm only getting a $50,000 tax write-off. Like, okay, so <laughs> that's still good for me. Um, and then if it's a, a long hold, longer than a year or two hold, okay? So if it's a short hold or a flip or something like that, you're not going to have as much benefit as if you were to hold it for a longer period of time. That makes perfect sense. Um, all right. Talk to us here now about the, uh, the, the landscape in taxes, tax reform coming up, how the government is looking at cost sag and real estate taxes. What's on the horizon? What do we need to be thinking about as investors and operators? Well, I think the the biggest thing is right now we have this thing called bonus depreciation, which is um, right now in the tax books, which is that 100% bonus depreciation, which means you were talking about before getting this first year tax write-off. With consideration, the first thing we, you know, we do is break out the property into its components, five-year, 15-year, and then the 39-year, which is structural components. Of those five and 15, you have the option to take 100% of that this year and the first year. Next year, it's going to start going down and it's going to start going away. Um, so this bonus depreciation is going to start phasing out. And next year, it's going to be at 80% bonus. So if you want to buy a property before the end of 2022 and take advantage of the 100% bonus depreciation, I mean, now is really the time. I don't know when this is going to be airing, but we're in October right now. And, uh, you know, the clock is ticking to be able to take advantage of this. You know, going forward, I think... There is potential that this can be reinstated to 100% bonus once again. I think it did contribute. I, we can all bear witness to this, that it contributed a large factor um, to the economy and to the growth of the real estate industry in general. I mean, you know it, I know it. People were doing deals because of the tax benefits. And so more deals happening, there's more employees, you know, there's more title companies, there's more brokers, there's more, you know, communities, there's more growth, there's more development, all kinds of stuff. It really is um, you know, giving, which is why it was introduced in the first place, because it gave a stimulus to the economy through, uh, through this tax benefit. So I do see or foresee this being reintroduced at some point to 100%. I'm not sure if it's gonna happen right away or, uh, or it's gonna take a couple of years to do so. Makes sense. Um, now, 
when we're looking out, uh, you mentioned it drops next year. Is there another drop planned or is it just the waiving, I guess, of the 100%? Or did they have a scaled down program or is it just 80% looks like it'll be the new standard? Yeah, so it's actually a scaled down program. So it's actually going to start phasing out by 20% each year. Um, until it's down to zero, which is, that's the plan as of now. Again, 2023 is going to 80% bonus and then 60, 40, 20 until there's no bonus depreciation. And what that means, again, just to reiterate, it means right now you can take 100% of those accelerated deductions in the first year. Next year, you're only able to take 80% of those deductions. The remaining 20%, you can still take at those relatively faster rates of five and 15 year schedules. Um, so it's not like you're losing out everything. Again, cost segregation was around for decades before this bonus depreciation thing came about in 2018. So it is a relatively new concept. And uh, I think people just got used to the fact that this is, you know, this is our uh, our kind of uh, modus operandi, that this is what we're doing and this is how real estate works. But but in fact, it hasn't always been this way. When did it, when did it start? When did it get it put in place? So in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, in this, that was the end of 2017, it really came about in 2018 was when this was introduced into law. Now, gotcha. do you think they're going to let it go away completely? You know, I'm not, I'm not a psychic, but, but I, do, I do think that it will be reintroduced. Like I said, it, yeah. it was introduced because it gave so much stimulus to the economy yeah. and to the real estate world. I think it's going to, you know, they're going to see that and, and bring it back. Yeah, I mean, just stuff like that is just so counterproductive to that that model of capitalism that yeah. that really built what we have today. You know, so especially a, when you've got a country that you're talking about, we need to improve infrastructure. Right. Well, if you want to improve infrastructure, then incentivize people to do exactly. it because if I can't get tax benefits <clears throat> and I can't raise rents, then I'm not doing it. Nor is mm -hmm. anybody. Nobody. If yeah. if if I view that I've capped out on my uh, rental rate growth, which a lot of people are feeling right now. They're like, I, I, we're not projecting that there's, we're going to have a lot of rent growth rate over the next two, three years. And then you have uh, uh, depreciation, which is in three years, half of what it was today. All of a sudden, you're going to get into a uh, incentive-based system that does not incentivize anyone to improve the infrastructure. And that's the exact opposite problem of what we have in the United States right now. We need to improve infrastructure. <laughs> so you'd think it, it yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I think it's a, a fairly simple thing to do as opposed to just taking taxpayers' money then and trying to spend it on other projects and work. But, you know, we'll see. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, well, awesome. It, you know, you are just a wealth of knowledge here. I think there's a few things uh, I want to really cap here. First of all, understanding obviously what it is, um, cost segregation, right? That you mentioned before, your line iteming items and taking things you're one. Um, it's doable, the pros, the cons that we kind of talked about. Um, and it's different on its effect on income based upon the individual's income, what it is, how they're receiving, then the property, obviously price tag, type, and items. Um, and when you're looking at a property, uh, really the best thing uh, to do to understand it is to have a professional like you and others look at it and give you kind of a synopsis of this is where we think we would look on this property. And you should uh, obviously outside short-term holds, 
right? You really need to be looking at that at every single property to fully understand it for not only yourself, investors, other people um, that you're working with. And it, it can be complicated and it can be hard. And I think the, uh, the, the good thing about this is you don't need to know all of it. You need to know that it's there, why it's there, and there's the benefits, but then really work with other people like Yona here and put it in their ball court to allow mm -hmm. them to come back to us to tell us what to do. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I mean, we're always talking on the podcast here about going to the experts. And uh, obviously, Yona, you're the expert in, in all things cost segregation and, and appreciation like this. So because, um, I mean, we looked at cost segs in the past, you know, with other individuals that it didn't quite make sense to us. Yep. But then, you know, talking to you guys and looking at it, it was a totally different story. Yep. So again, that's just such a huge testament to making sure you're talking to and connecting with those people who, who know what the heck they're doing. And <laughs> with, uh, with that, man, where can people go? Like, where can people go to learn about you, uh, what you do? Uh, do you charge to do a study on somebody's property? How's that work? Yeah, so we always offer a free upfront feasibility analysis for any property. Uh, you know, you just reach out. You can find me anywhere, basically. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the place, but LinkedIn, I'm extremely active on, on all the social platforms, but LinkedIn's my main main one. Um, and you can go to yonaweiss.com or our company is Madison Specs. Again, we're the, the largest national conservation company and working in all 50 states. And happy to, happy to help anyone. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys for having me on the show. This has been fun and Always looking forward to not just having the, the virtual background, but That's hopefully right. one day, one day in the flesh. I was in Boise once. I think I told you about this in, uh, I think in 2006, uh, not 2000, what am I talking about? In 1996, I was in Boise, Idaho. It's changed a lot since yeah. then. Holy cow. Uh, we'll, we'll get you back out for sure. And everybody, we'll put those uh, links in the show notes so you can go check it out and and work with them. Hey, thank you, man, for coming on again. We, we appreciate uh, your time, especially right now when there's changes coming to this whole part of the industry. It's really important for everybody to know to jump on. Obviously, everyone, do not wait on properties that you've purchased this year or have that maybe you haven't done cost segregation till next year, everyone. It needs to be done this year. You, just by waiting because you forgot or not doing it, right, you're going to forfeit 20%. There's no reason to do that when you can get, maybe it's not a total of 20%, but you're going to forfeit. You're not going to be able to take as much as you can this year. So everybody jump on it. We'll leave those uh, 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 links in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, hey, we'll have you back on, man. And we'll, we'll talk soon again, okay? Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. See you, man. All right, everybody, that was another great episode with Yona. It was so great having him on. Huge shout out to him. You should go check him out. But we actually have some new reviews that came in. You guys are doing an excellent job submitting reviews. We've been getting so many in the past couple of weeks. It's actually hard to keep track and pick out my favorite ones to read here on the podcast. I'm going to do my best to read as many as possible. Cruz20 says, my favorite podcast and resource for learning about self-storage. Thank you for everything you do for the industry. Highly recommend. B. Rabe says, plethora of information. This podcast is exactly what I was looking for as an aspiring storage facility operator. I've listened to hours and hours of episodes, which has given me the confidence to network with 
and hold a conversation with seasoned operators. AJ is very knowledgeable and is straight to the point in sharing information. Excellent show about self-storage investing. Well, first of all, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast week after week. We really appreciate you. It's listeners like you that have made this podcast what it is today. We're super grateful to you. And we're just glad to hear that the information we talk about here has actually applied to you and has been a help. Idaho Storage Properties says, AJ and Connor provide excellent education for beginner and advanced self-storage owners alike. They provide a realistic and honest look at the positives and negatives of the industry. They also include great interviews with other self-storage owners to provide real-life stories and examples to learn from. In my opinion, that's actually the best form of knowledge, is knowledge that you didn't have to go through the pain of learning it through experience. Like, if you make a mistake and you learn from that mistake, obviously, you're the one that's having to pay for it, right? You're the one that's responsible for making that mistake. But if somebody else has made that mistake and you learn from their experiences and learn from what they're saying in these interviews, then whatever you take away is actually going to help you avoid those same pitfalls. They've already paid for their mistakes. Why would you have to pay again if you can just learn from them? Super high value information for sure. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember guys, AJ has a full playbook of growing wealth in self-storage, literally everything that you need to know to get started in self-storage, he wrote a book about, and now it's actually out in audiobook format. So to celebrate the launch of the audio version, we're giving it away. All you have to do is leave a review on this podcast, completely honest review, then take a screenshot of it, submit it to the link in the show notes of this episode, and we'll send you a copy of that audiobook. So if you haven't read AJ's book or you haven't gotten the audiobook yet, we highly recommend you do so. Check out that link below, and I will see you guys in the next episode.